Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that gets at the real stories behind the property headlines. If you look at the way this product has been advertised in the UK, it's an advert with a picture of two elderly people sitting on a sofa having a cup of tea. In America, it's somebody sitting on a scooter or with a golf trolley or what have you. It's a very, very different thing. Based on the number of homes we're currently delivering, we're saving the NHS around £310 million. Today, we're looking at an area where growing demand is guaranteed, but matching supply most certainly isn't. 44% of all homeowner equity is owned by the over 65s. It's £1.6 trillion. We're only now starting to see interest from mainstream property developers that realise that there is the demand, there is the wealth, and therefore time is right to really get into the sector. It's time for us to put our feet up, have a nice cup of tea, and talk about retirement living. I'm Guy Ruddle, and with me are Savile's Head of Healthcare, Craig Woolham. Craig spent 25 years in the healthcare property market, so he'll presumably know exactly what to do when he retires himself in another 25 years. Hello, Craig. Hello there. I certainly hope so. <laughs> Victoria Wattis <laughs> is Associate Director of Healthcare Valuations. She knows more about healthcare valuations than is healthy. Uh, <laughs> hello, Victoria. Hello. And Lawrence Bowles is an Associate Director in Savile's Residential Research Department and is in danger of becoming a regular on the podcast last Last time Lawrence was here, he was talking about five-year forecasts for residential property. I think we're sort of getting more long-term this time, Lawrence. Absolutely, yes. It's great to be back. Good. It's good to see you all. So let's get stuck in straight away. I should probably start with sort of perhaps dispelling a myth of some sort. When youngsters like me think of retirement living, uh, we sort of think, I think, about care homes, basically. Craig, is, is, it, presumably it's a bit more than that. I think it is. And I, 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 um, I mean, I'm over 55. And I think that when you look at these age restrictions, there's no way I would want to go into a retirement complex at my age. But there is, in terms of planning, it is over 55 to retirement. Um, I was chatting to my colleagues earlier because I've been in the industry quite a long time. And when I sort of first started out in the healthcare market, residential care homes were you, you would have a lot of retired people in care homes because you didn't actually have the availability of, of sheltered housing or retirement housing uh, until McCarthy and Stone really came on the scene in the 1980s and started uh, started building. So the market has changed a lot uh, in that in that timescale. And for the uninitiated, Victoria, what, so what are we talking about if it's not sort of sheltered accommodation? Um. It's fit for purpose, independent living um, for retirees, essentially. So anything 65 plus, but we're looking more in your your 70s, 80s sort of bracket. Still living very independently. Um, and a lot of these schemes don't look too dissimilar from residential. Um, still living in your own apartment or bungalow. Uh, but you've got the resort style communal, communal facilities that come with it and also the support to allow you to age in place um, should you need it down the line. Age in place. That's the term. That's like almost every podcast that we do. I learn a new term. To age in place is my new term now. Lawrence, so we, that's a, probably a stupid question because we're not building enough of anything in this country, but are we building enough of this sort of accommodation? Unsurprisingly, no, we are not. Um, so we've done some analysis of this looking at the, the number of older people in the UK and the, you know, the potential demand for retirement housing and we found that, well, you know, looking at ONS figures, there's around 12 million people over the age of 65 living in the UK um, 
and based on international benchmarks, what we should be providing compared to countries like New Zealand, Australia, the US, where provision is much more robust. Um, on that basis, we think that the UK retirement housing sector should grow to more than 1.2 million homes. That's a 65% increase on where we are now. Given the fact that you know, a good chunk of these older people are, are homeowners and own a great deal of housing equity, a great deal of housing wealth. You know, we, we discussed that sort of housing equity uh, point last time, but 40, 44% of all homeowner equity is owned by the over 65s. It's £1.6 trillion. So that's money that, that is available, Craig or Victoria or anyone, that, uh, to, to spend in this world. So, so why isn't the, the, the development and the investment going on to this? It seems like a no-brainer. I think – Looking at the market, it's, it, it's quite niche. And I think that um, as a developer, uh, I think there is some caution. I think that people that might be in their sort of late 70s or 1980s are quite cautious about making that purchase. Um, so I think that you know the market is very much brand-driven and there are a number of very successful brands. But I think actually coming into the market as a new entrant and creating that brand is, is quite difficult or is perceived as being difficult. So I think we're only now starting to see interest from mainstream property developers and others that, that, that realise that this demographic time bomb's there, that there is the demand, there is the wealth, and therefore you know time is, is right to, to really get into the, into the sector. And I think the other point was what you mentioned earlier, that myth, what's the difference between a care home and retirement? So there's still a big sort of educational piece that needs to be done because people have this perception of maybe the, the older style retirement stock and aren't aware of this new sort of beautiful stock coming on, on stream now. Um, so part of our job is continually sort of educating planners, government um, and people looking to get into the sector as well. Is it a peculiarly British thing? I mean, I think, I think of Florida, which is basically the whole state's a retirement living thing, basically. You're from New Zealand. I'm not going to make the joke about the whole country, but, but you know what I mean? Other, you know, in other parts of the world, are, are buyers more attuned to this idea of moving from their own traditional home into something which is like maybe as you, the sort of accommodation you're describing? So by comparison, I think New Zealand and the States roughly are about, um, they've got roughly around 10 times the number of people aged over 65 living in these schemes in comparison to the UK. So the UK's got a long way to go. It's difficult to say exactly why that is. Um, New Zealand, I think maybe being a smaller country, it was easier to bring out legislation. We've got the Retirement Villages Act, Code of Practice, and that's really, I think, what helped to stimulate that growth. But is it that great? I mean, I mean, you know, there's a sort of tradition now on this on this podcast that it's, it's planners' fault and it's taxation and something. But at a certain level, it's just you know people wanting to do it. Isn't I it? think I think I think you're right. And I think if you look historically at the way um, this product has been advertised in the UK, it's a you know an advert with a picture of two elderly people sitting on a sofa having a cup of tea. Um, if you look at the way these schemes are advertised in America, it's somebody sitting on a scooter or with a golf trolley or what have you. It's a very, very different thing. And I think we're only now starting to realise that, that, you know, that this market is different, that, you know, the, the, uh, the um, silver pound, as it were, is, is, is wanting something quite special. So we're adapting, I think, which we hadn't done for a long time. Are we better at it as, an, as a nation, industry, etc., Lawrence, in different parts of the country? 
I don't think there's really uh, from a, from a marketing standpoint or sort of the type of stock that's being delivered. I don't think there's a, a huge real sort of variation in the, in the quality of offering there. I think in terms of the the volume that's being delivered, um, there is a, a particular struggle to deliver more retirement housing in London. Um, variety of reasons for that. A lot of that is to you know uh, to do with that whinging about the planners again. A lot of that is just because the values make it very difficult. The land values are extremely high, competing with alternative uses. You know you can you can you know, straight up residential. So gen- general residential sale is, is is always a sort of very tight competitor for the land in these situations. So it makes it very difficult there. Um, whereas perhaps. Elsewhere in the country, um, delivering these homes is ever so slightly easier, although I wouldn't ever go so far as to say it's, it's completely easy. Yeah. And there's different types of accommodation, obviously, but there's also different values of accommodation. Are, are, are we at least covering the whole market? Are we, you know, catering for people who can't afford anything and people who can afford everything, you know, the world and everyone in the middle? I think it, that's a very interesting question as well, because I think there is a a big gap. And I think we are starting to see local authorities move away from funding what we would describe as traditional residential care and moving more into what we would describe as extra care. And I think the reason for that is, it's actually much more affordable. So if you uh, are in a care home um, and you are being funded by the local authority, no matter what care need you have, which might fluctuate during the, the you know the, the, the week, um, you're paying six fifty, seven fifty, eight hundred pounds a week. If you go into an extra care model and you are buying that care in on an as required basis from a domiciliary care provider, one day you might need two hours, the next day you might need eight hours. So it actually over the over the week it's a much more affordable model. And I think we're starting to see now these local authorities and housing associations build um, affordable retirement and affordable extra care to cater for that market. And there's a big, big gap. And there's also a lot of care beds being lost uh, because of various things, regulation, um, buildings not fit for purpose. And we're starting to see these extra care and these retirement schemes fill that gap, which is really quite interesting. So, sorry, I was going to say, I think at the other end of the spectrum, the market has catered pretty well for, you know, the mid to upper, more so upper end, more affluent. Um, And that's shown, I guess, by the concentration of retirement villages being more towards the south and southeast, um, and where there is that gap is more of the mid mid market product. Um. Squeeze middle, <laughs> squeeze middle <laughs> again. There was the there was the point, wasn't there, that we actually Lawrence had done some research on it, and it was the affordability point, wasn't it? That so yeah, two hundred fifty thousand so pounds was there or thereabouts. So we we did some. Uh, sort of quite detailed analysis looking at the, the distribution of housing values across uh, different authorities across the whole of the UK. And on that basis said, which what proportion of these households, what proportion of these older households could afford to downsize into a typical new build retirement flat, flat for sale or, or bungalow for sale? And there we found that around 280, 200, uh, 284,000 of those households could, could downsize and buy one of these things. But uh, assuming that such stock was available, and there's, there's an obstacle that there's not enough of these these things being built. Um, but there's a further 291,000 households who couldn't afford to downsize and buy something outright, but they could afford to buy something. You know, they're not completely – they have some wealth that they could use. So there's some middle option that's required there to fill that gap. So it's about flexibility, isn't it? It's about flexibility in supply and flexibility in how you finance it and, and all that sort of stuff. So – so is it then for down to developers and investors to, to understand that there is this market here 
and to find ways of dealing with it and find ways of supplying it. Yes. Yeah, I think it, there, there is. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you, know, you could have shared ownership. We think that the private or the PRS model, the private rented sector model in retirement and extra care is something that will really start to move forward. Because if you, you know, if you're 85 years old, um, would you prefer to buy an apartment on long lease, or if you had an element of security of tenure, would it actually not make sense to lease something if all the facilities were there? We see that very much the case in Europe, uh, where retired people, you know, are leasing apartments in purpose-built facilities, and it's 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 very much the norm. So we do think that over the next uh, course of the next few years, we will start to see more of these PRS models develop in retirement. And it's actually really quite exciting. So I guess that sort of the, if you look at it in, in the round, you, you've got a situation where we've got lots of people getting older. They've got money. We'd quite like to free up some of that housing stock that they're living in for younger people, you know, their children, grandchildren or, or, or other people. It reduces care costs as you were saying, Craig, probably reduces NHS costs as well because you can get people out of hospital quicker and all that sort of stuff. So, is it going to happen? I certainly hope so. <laughs> it, it needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's not the same thing. <laughs> oh, I think the, 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 weight of, uh, the weight of capital chasing after the sector, the, uh, the amount of investor interest that we're seeing, uh, the, the, the amount of interest that we've seen taken by, by developers, by house builders, by, by other interested groups means it would be, I would be very surprised if we didn't see a massive acceleration in this sector over the next few years. It feels like there's a vast amount of potential and that generally the industry is waking up to that. Now... Savile Standout Statistic time. There's always a bit of pressure on, on po- guests on the podcast with the Savile Standout Statistic. We have to come up with something which uh, just makes people sort of sit up a bit or prick up their ears or something. Lawrence, you've been here before, so you can go first. What's your Savile Standout Statistic? Well, Guy, we mentioned earlier that, that stat about the amount of equity, housing equity that's owned by the over-65s. Now, if you just take those over-65 households living just in London and the south of England... Those, those households alone own a quarter of all homeowners' wealth in the UK. Wow. That's terrifying. Craig? So I think for me, it's, it's the demographic time bomb, which, is, which has been fairly well worn. But I still think it's worth focusing on some of these numbers. So the seg- segment of the UK population aged over 85 is projected to multiply by more than five times from 1.6 million which is 2.3% of UK population today, up to 7.4 million by 2086, which is 8.7% of the UK population, which is going to put a lot of pressure on NHS. Um, and there's a shortage of care beds and there's a shortage of, of retirement and extra care products. So uh, that's begin- quite a frightening statistic. I'm beginning to think we should stop doing this several standout statistic. But anyway, Victoria... <laughs> Um, mine is based on the benefit um, of providing these retirement villages and how this can be measured. Um, so currently, based on the number of homes we're currently delivering um, annually today, we're saving the NHS around £310 million. So imagine if this was doubled or tripled, uh, what, what benefit that could have. See, Victoria came up with a positive one. 
You know? What an optimistic way to finish. You should listen and learn. (laughs) Thank you all very much for being here. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for your wisdom. And that's it uh, for Real Estate Insights this time. If you want to find out more about this particular area of the property market, you'll find the Spotlight on Retirement Living report in the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. And you can find a link in the episode information of this podcast. And if you're the sort of person who just breaks into a cold sweat at the mere thought of missing an episode of Real Estate Insights, then please subscribe to us using your usual podcast provider. You can go backwards as well to find podcasts about all sorts of things, from why London seems to be impervious to Brexit, to why farming is a better bet than you might think, and where house prices are likely to rise and fall over the next few years. Riches beyond compare. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening to us. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.